Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to Episode 5 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm your host, Andy's Mom. Today, I speak again with Gwen Capsha, Certified Thanatologist and Program Director for Starlight Ministries. We discussed the early days following a loss and both the emotional and the physical toll that results. Today's episode was originally scheduled to be released in two weeks, but I quickly realized just how valuable this information is for anyone who has lost a loved one, whether it be one's child, spouse, sibling, parent, or close friend. There are so many similarities between all of these losses. The days and weeks following the death are unbelievably painful. If you can take a minute, send a link of this podcast to someone suffering a loss recently. The goal, as always, is to offer hope and help. Thank you, Gwen, for agreeing to come in again today. You're very welcome. So today we're going to start our first of several conversations that we have that are really focused on a specific topic, Mm -hmm. something that is... um, you know, important or um, that can be valuable to someone who is grieving that they might be struggling with. And, you know, people can kind of pick and choose what things they are struggling with. Right. But the first topic we're going to talk about today is just those first few days Mm. after the death of a child and what that looks like kind of emotionally, physically, just all of those different things that you struggle with in those days. Yeah. I think the key point is you can't even imagine how you'd respond. If you haven't had that experience, there's no way to prepare for that. And so everyone comes to that totally unprepared to do so. You're never ready to hear that your child has died or to get those details. You know, it's it's interesting that you say that because, Mm -hmm. you know, I recently interviewed Stephanie on episode three and they knew that Kian was dying. Mm -hmm. She, they kind of had to make the decision to let her go. Mm -hmm. And, uh, over those last two weeks of her life, she knew, they knew she was dying. And in the months up to that, they knew she was going to be dying. So they all went through counseling to try to prepare them to get ready. And then she said when it happened, she wasn't ready at all. No. She had really no 
just no. was completely unprepared, even though she thought right. she was prepared. Yeah, you can't get a head start in what they grieve knowing that a death is approaching. What you grieve is um, the losses that happen along the way mm-hmm. and watching that person deteriorate and maybe they can't come out to the dinner table anymore with the family and they're in their hospital bed and they're not communicating. And so you're grieving those things, but to not have them physically present to you ever again is not something you can get a head start on until it occurs. So I think people go into it with this almost, I don't want to say an illusion, but that thought that I'm prepared for this right? and we're not. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. definitely true. Yeah. I think about that, um, with my mom's death too, mm-hmm. because my mom's death was much more gradual mm-hmm. and we knew it was coming and she right. went into hospice, but still mm-hmm. after it happens, it's, you weren't really ready. Right. But then with Andy's, of course, it's completely and totally oh. out of the blue and you didn't have, I had no time to prepare, None. right? We were on our way to right. the baseball game, so. Right, and that's when you mentioned at the intro is, you know, the physical and the emotional, those are two responses. Um, and then your factor, that you were also in the accident. So right. it wasn't as if he got in an accident and someone came and told you about it. You had all of that as well. So that's a something else that factors in. Yeah, absolutely. I you know, I, uh, had a concussion. Mm -hmm. I was unconscious for, I don't know how long really. And so it's hard to know for, for me to Mm -hmm. know if my symptoms were grief related or concussion related, because I really, I really have no idea. None. No. Mm -hmm. Because I, when I've talked to other people, they have memory struggles and all these kinds of other issues which initially I think I kind of blamed on the concussion right but had you not been concussed you may have had those I may have I may have had the exact same Mm -hmm. thing it may have been had nothing to do with the concussion at all yeah it's impossible to know I mean concentrating on even simple tasks of life become difficult to do when your head is trying to do that work of this really happened. I can't believe, and you find yourself going over and over, we were driving and then this, or, you know, whatever the accident was, and just reliving that over and over. So you're not paying attention to, you know, am I paying attention to my own driving or am I, you know, what's going on around me? We lose that concentration. Yeah. I wasn't able to concentrate for a very long time. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. simple things yeah. you just can't even do. And at, in that, did you worry at those beginning times? Like, what is is this ever going to come back? I really thought I was going crazy. Right. Yeah. And for a long time, I thought I was going mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. And I'm sure you've said this before in your podcast, but that was probably one of the things that the value of being in a support group and hearing other people and you go, oh, I'm not the only one. No yeah. question about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I have heard, we have spent some time in support group, again, talking about the the crazy things we've done at the beginning because of our lack of concentration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking back now, it seems humorous sometimes in the group. But when it's happening to you, it you're just not functioning the same. You have, you know, p- some people call it the fog or grief brain or those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, yeah I, I know right away, the day after Andy died, I finished uh charting from my office because I I didn't finish it because I worked and then I had to go quickly right after I got done seeing patients pick up Andy 
from his from school because he mm-hmm. was doing his um you know they their orientation week and so I had to go pick him up and it was just rushing around and we had to go to the baseball game so I had I don't know six or eight charts that I left undone and I was like fixated on them mm-hmm. you know I, so the next day I we were in the hospital overnight I we get just charged from the hospital in the morning I first of all I could barely even get in a car mm-hmm. I couldn't I just started having such panic attacks and then I thought to myself I have to get home I the only way for me to get home is to get in this car Mm -hmm. it was one of the hardest things I ever had to do was get in Mm -hmm. that car but then all day all I could think about were those stupid charts Mm -hmm. that I had not finished right and my partner said don't worry about them we'll figure it out if we have to finish it it'll be fine Mm -hmm. but I couldn't think about anything else right so there I was up at night the day after my son died, not, I mean, it's been like 27 yeah. hours and I'm finishing up charting mm-hmm. and Eric was sitting in the same room as me typing on his computer as well because a medical student had asked for a letter of recommendation to go to residency and he like felt like he had to do that right. just then. Mm-hmm. And you know, neither one of us really felt like, I mean, we didn't have to do it. Right, right. But I think two things happen in being task-oriented people. It's like, well, I've got to finish this task so I can allow myself space and time to do what I have to do. Because you knew, whether it be subconsciously or truly intellectually, that I've got a lot of stuff that's going to be happening. So I need to get that off my plate so that I'm not carrying that as well. Right. The other thing is that I think sometimes focusing on something other than what happened um, takes our mind off of it. And sometimes it's easier and people find themselves saying, why was I doing, you know, yours were job related, but other tasks that seem menial, but you just focus on them because it kind of gives your brain a break from what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I just felt so overwhelmed Mm -hmm. by what was happening. I didn't want to believe it. No. And if I started just doing, getting on the computer and doing charting, then it was like it wasn't real. Right. I could, could just yep. go. Like any other day, I've yeah. got charting to do. This. Well, and what's really silly is that I always felt guilty guilty if my charting wasn't done, right? Right. I mean, so, that day, I would have finished it after the baseball game. There's mm-hmm. no question because I could never really go to bed without having my charting mm-hmm. all done just because that's me. Right. So that was other part of it is now it's been more than a day. What if people come in for a follow-up and I didn't finish the charting I mean Mm -hmm. so it was well to that point Marcy grieving doesn't change people we grieve like our personality so it's not like all of a sudden you're gonna you had never blown it off before you know like said oh yeah I'm not gonna worry about that you had never done that before you weren't gonna do it now and so grieving doesn't really change people dying doesn't change people they die a lot like they live and we grieve so if someone is um you know faces challenges head on and they want to you know have all the facts and step by step that's how they're going to grieve they want to grieve that same way but if someone else let's say they're shy they back away from things they're going to grieve that way too so it doesn't really change yeah it's funny I wrote about something similar in my recent blog post okay that I wrote is about how this Um, process of grieving and losing a child changes you on the one hand but on the other hand it doesn't Mm -hmm. because you are still the same person and that's why it can be difficult 
when people say to you, oh, you must be feeling this way. There's no way you could ever do this again, whatever, because really they don't know. And deep down, I am still the same person mm-hmm. with still the same strengths and the same loves. So to say that I'm completely changed and I'll never do certain things again yeah. is really no. not accurate. Well, and there's those words, the never or the I won't ever. Um, in the early moments, that's what we think, is oh. that I will never, ever, ever not feel this way. I said that so many times. Mm-hmm. And bothered now, Eric yeah. so much. Yeah. And now you can look back and say that, that you know, using those absolutes, you have no idea how you grow, change, develop, all yeah. in the midst of feeling extreme pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember saying, um, I'll never be able to practice pediatrics again. I'll never mm-hmm. be able to be a pediatrician again. And, and I don't think that's accurate. I right. feel like, you know, I feel pretty ready to go back and do right. that again. But at yeah. early on, I didn't no. think so. And then I kind of forced myself to do it when I wasn't ready. Oh. But you just have to wait. Right. And the word you just used is so key. Force. I tell people, if you're forcing yourself to do something, that's an indication that you're not ready. Mm-hmm. And and it would be the example of even with, since we're talking about early on, um, you know, oftentimes people are forced to get rid of their clothing or change something in the house. Someone thinks it's a great idea. Let's today's the day, and they're forcing the bereaved people to do that. If they're mm-hmm. not ready, and someone's forcing you, don't do it because a day will come when you wake up and say today. I'm going to clean out that closet or I'm ready to move that or change that. Mm-hmm. But that forcing shows that adequate time was not given. Yeah. My my uh, mother died when they were in the process of moving to a condo. And we had not yet moved. We had to push um, the closing off. When I shared with you last time about me having to tell my mother that she was dying Correct. because my dad and brother were not there and what they were doing were moving things to mm-hmm. the new place. And um, after she died, then that's when we finished that moving process and lots of people were there to help us and all of her belongings ended up just going like in the trash or being given away or something, all of it. And that was so difficult for me. And I found myself like sneaking after people and pulling things back out Mm -hmm. of that pile to give away and sticking it in the different pile that was going to go to my grandmother's basement because I knew someday I would be able to go through my grandmother's basement and rescue some of those things again. So (laughs) it was so silly because I didn't want anyone to see me doing Mm -hmm. it but I just wasn't ready to let go of all of those things and I think when we talk about those first days and stages there are times during that with the shock or the trauma that people do need a little pushing because otherwise we would just probably want to stay in bed and let the whole world go so in those first days they need a little bit of pushing but really um just to allow them to be. And that's what our culture has a a problem with is, Mm -hmm. you know, not just, again, getting that list and saying, okay, we have to accomplish something every day. For bereaved people, breathing is an accomplishment. Mm -hmm. I mean, putting- Just getting up out of bed. Getting up out of bed and saying, okay, I'm upright today, or I'm going to try to have, 
you know, um, one meal today or to drink some water today or those kinds Mm -hmm. of things. Um, yeah, my dear friend Tina was that to me in that in those early days, she would just show up after work and she, she's, you know, very important job. She's Mm -hmm. the CEO of Spectrum Health, huge job. And after work, she would just be here at Mm -hmm. my door and sit with me. I mean, she sat with me when I wrote Andy's obituary, Mm. just being there and not having to say anything, just being there. And she actually um, arranged his entire, uh, we, we had a funeral service, of course, at our church, but our church was being renovated, so they had no place to do a luncheon afterwards. So she arranged and, pay, arranged and paid for the entire thing to be done at Meyer Gardens. I mean, everyone wow. said it was like a, a wedding. They felt like they were at a wedding, not mm-hmm. at a funeral luncheon. And she just did it, so I didn't have to think yeah. about it. And that was really so helpful. Yeah. So, you, you know, it's sharing that that's helpful, but in those moments, if someone had asked you, what do you need? You wouldn't have I wouldn't have, have known. said that. You, yeah, no. you wouldn't have known. So it's interesting, but I bet there were times in those first few days that you wanted no one around. I mean, let's exclude the close friend that, right. you know, just was present with you. But were there other times that you felt overwhelmed by people? Yeah. I mean, we had a lot of people that would bring us food. And I, I mean, I remember something specifically, I mean, a very nice woman brought us food I did not know her she knew my husband and she you know wanted to give me a hug which is Mm -hmm. nice but made me so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because I didn't know her and I really didn't want to hug her and you know I she wanted to hug the kids and I said they weren't really around and and just because I I didn't want that Mm -hmm. I didn't think they probably did either and I know that she just wanted to like Hold yeah. me and comfort me, but gosh, yeah. when you don't even know them, right. that's hard. And then there's a part of you, again, it, probably subconsciously, but it's like, wait a minute, I didn't want to be in this spot with a stranger bringing me a casserole and wanting to hug me. Yeah. You know, I mean, the part of that is, well, I didn't sign up. This is not something I'm excited about. Yeah. Come on in, give mm-hmm. me a hug. Thanks for. It's not that kind of occasion. No. And um, that's a little different than at the. Um, well, the visitation, mm-hmm. when we had hours of people coming through and mm-hmm. standing in line and, and hugging. Of course, I think the only people that hugged me really didn't know me. But I, in those instances, I really felt like I was being able to let go of just a little bit of that heaviness mm-hmm. every time I got a hug. Mm-hmm. Like, it was really reassuring. So yeah. from people that I knew and were close to, that hug felt great. Right. But if I don't know oh, yeah. yeah, then I didn't exactly. feel so great. And were there other ways that people overwhelmed you at the beginning that you can remember? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I know that in Andy's death, good could be accomplished. And there were some people that were even brought to Christ mm-hmm. in that. But telling me that early on was so horrible. Mm -hmm. Oh, God's going to reach so many people at the funeral. Oh, the funeral was amazing. Can you imagine how many people Mm -hmm. God reached that way? Like, I don't care. Care. I did not. At that moment, I don't care at all. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a horrible Christian (laughs) saying that. (laughs) But I wanted my little boy back. Yeah. And for people to kind of 
say that anything positive could mm-hmm. be coming out of these last few days of my life was really horrible. Right. And and now I'm months out and now I can appreciate that a mm-hmm. little more and I can feel like oh, I'm really glad that some good things did happen right. from Andy's death, but right away, no. You just no. can't say that to someone. No. It's just it not is. good. I mean, it really maybe some people are just way more well, altruistic. I, think I don't they're know. They're trying I mean. to make you feel better, and they think that that. And even being a person of faith, I've always said that we we put this pressure that says because we have you know a certain belief system that we land on the shores of choosing joy and all things work together for good. But before we get to that, there's so much pain and stuff that we have to go through. You know, that God understands we have to go through. So it's like pushing someone way far ahead in yeah. that process. And I, people will come to that on their own. Yeah. And so if every person that I met, I forced that healing, that would be horrible. But I know that it comes, so that gives me hope to walk beside them when they don't feel it. Right. Knowing that someday that will return. Yeah, and I, I just would say to listeners just do not say that to people. right <laughs> and if and if they say that to you if the bereaved person says that to you fine mm-hmm. but saying the other way it's just that's right just yeah. too, too mm-hmm. much i'd say well the other thing that we it came to my mind and thinking about those early days so people are coming in and out they're bringing things they don't know what to say so taking you know what you just said and say just say very little and be present and don't force a relationship that's not there. Um, there's other people in the scene at that moment. Um, you know, police officers, some families mm-hmm. have attorneys and they're, they could be in the hospital for several days and there's lots of other um, people involved. And one of the things that I've observed is that sometimes people in authority, meaning, you know, doctor, police officer, pastor, mm-hmm. um, have said things to families that they take because it was said by someone that they think, well, they really know. know what they're talking about. Yeah. And I've watched people become victims of some really bad instruction in those moments because of who it came from. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I know personally, my pastor was great, amazing. And as far as the police go, I just avoided it. <laughs> I, I really did. Eric had to do everything. Yeah. Um, the police came to the house a couple of times. We knew they were coming, and I went for a walk mm-hmm. the first time. The second time I went, I think, to the cemetery, I just couldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And I would, like, tell Eric, just send me a text when he's gone. Right. Um, because and I just... At it, that moment, was it too much of a reminder, or yes. was it... Okay. Yeah. I think it's the... Because I certainly have had some post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. disorder from that, and I'm, I'm, it was that. It was mm-hmm. just would make me so anxious and so upset and feel just mm-hmm. physically ill and just thinking mm-hmm. of the accident. Although, I don't remember those police officers at all. Right. Because I just have very little memory of the whole accident. It just was too much. Well, and you made an interesting point in the fact that you delegated something that was too hard for you at that time to somebody else who could take care of it for you. In this case, it was Eric, your husband. And I just want bereaved people to hear that, you know, those beginning moments, 
if you can't handle something to delegate it to somebody else, like, Hey, this is more than I can take. Mm -hmm. That's your, your thing. So you had that in your partnership and your marriage that you could escape those moments. And he took those on. And there's probably other moments that you took on. You know, I already heard you say you and your friend wrote the obituary. Maybe that's something he just said. Yeah. I'll let you take care of that. So as far as, um, telling his family that Andy died, I had to do that. Mm. I had to tell Eric's family because he said, I just can't do it. Right. He couldn't. So yeah. I, you know, I called his sister. She didn't answer the phone. I mm. ended up talking to her, her husband. Um, mm-hmm. And then they told additional family. I, I think the people I told, I'm just remembering that back to that night, I called my brother and my brother called everyone else in my family. Mm-hmm. And I talked to, you know, our, Eric's sister's husband. And then he just was in such shock. Um, he ended up hanging up fairly quickly. And then Eric's sister called me back um, because she just didn't quite know what was going right. on. And I, it right. was just, it's so hard to take. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I've said this before. Every person I told, because I did tell in the ambulance I called, our pastor, two of my best friends, my nurse who was at the baseball game. I called all those people, and every single one of them said, what? And I had to say it twice. Right. I had to say, we've been in an accident, and Andy's dead. Mm-hmm. And I had to say it like that because I just didn't quite believe it, mm-hmm. and I had to just put it out there mm-hmm. like that. And no one really believed he was dead. I mean, I had several people thinking, well, she must be wrong. He must just be on his way to the hospital mm-hmm. and um, just because it was so sudden. Mm-hmm. And oh. it seems like oftentimes people get in an accident and then, you know, when you hear on the news, they're in an accident, they were airlifted to wherever, and then they died there. No, no. I mean, he was just dead right mm-hmm. away. So there was no airlifting anywhere. Right. There was just right. taking his body to the morgue straight mm-hmm. from the accident. So... So when you said you called those people in your family, kind of what you chose to do, which often people do, is tell one person and let them tell others. Because the burden of telling everyone is so overwhelming that Mm -hmm. you have to hear all of that. So you had to do it with the handful, the first line of people, but then they had to do it with those lines. Um, Taking all of that on and all of their questions and their pain sometimes early on is super overwhelming for brief people and I think that's why they shut down or push away because they have so many people wanting to hear it from them and to talk to them yeah it's like allow the family that buffer of those people that will inform these people and then they'll tell yeah, you and the I, details. I did send out I think a few text messages to some people that I didn't want to find out another way and I Correct. remember my our pastor saying in the hospital he was in the hospital with us it was the um younger pastor who'd come to the Mm -hmm. house to get Catherine brought her back and he said you know it had been maybe an hour or two said this is going to be on the news you need to start telling people Mm -hmm. because he did not want especially our family to find out Mm -hmm. from the news right yeah um so that was what forced us to do it. And that's when Eric said, asked me to talk to his sister mm-hmm. because he just 
couldn't right. do it. Yeah. But but sending a few text messages then was a little easier, like to my college friends and things like mm-hmm. that, because I wanted to get it out there and I wanted to get it done. <laughs> but I didn't want to like your personality. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That is just like my personality. I yeah. had to get it done and I had to get it over with. And I had all this list of people. I mean, I even sent sent one to the woman who cut my hair. I sent a message. Now, she and I are a little closer than that because mm-hmm. when Valeriano like was on dialysis, she took him to dialysis one time. So, I yeah. mean, we we are very friendly and she's right. cut my hair for a very long time. And and I thought, I don't think I want her to find out from the news. I'll just, I will tell her. And she actually felt quite honored, I think, that I did take the time to tell her mm-hmm. and not just have her learn it on the news. But... um yeah, I th- you're right. I hadn't thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. That just being my personality, right? To yes. just like I have to, I have all these boxes that I need to check, and yes. I need to l- let all these people know. And I wanted everyone to know because it was so hard to tell people that I didn't want to have that sprung on me later. I think, you know, to have somebody ask how the kids were and be all oh. happy and whatever, and me to have to say, "Well, Andy died last week." Right. So to be warned, almost right. like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned feeling physically ill. Yeah. And so we talked about, you know, was it some of the physical reactions where they concussion, but what are some of the other physical ways early on that you remember feeling in your grief? Not being able to sleep. Mm. Could you go to sleep and then wake up or was it no sleep at all? I just couldn't sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I I hear it many different ways. Like I have a hard time falling asleep and then once I'm asleep, I'm fine. Or I fall asleep and then I wake up or I don't sleep at all. I just don't sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Because your mind is just so busy. Moving and moving and and going through and I'd start to close my eyes and then I'd think about the accident mm -hmm. and I just couldn't. Right. And again, you mentioned PTSD. The trauma of what you had been through was replaying over and over and when we're silent and close our eyes that's when the sounds the smell I mean everything just kind of comes back in our mind so sleep is something very much that bereaved people lack and I think the hardest part is that sleep is what fills us up during the night to be able to face our days so then when you have nights that aren't replenishing you resting you then to have the hard work you have during the day, it's no wonder why bereaved people are so physically and emotionally exhausted. Right. And Mm -hmm. I did, I was, I think I took some like little naps in the day. I think I would try to lay down a little bit because the nights were so bad. I don't know. I mean, and Mm -hmm. I think the day was easier just because I knew I could lay down for 45 minutes or an hour Mm -hmm. when the night is so daunting because I know that I'm not, I'm supposed to be there for eight hours or whatever. And like, I am not going to be able to handle this for eight hours. And then you start thinking, I've got to sleep. I can't sleep. (laughs) Right. And then you're stressed about not sleeping. Oh, Mm -hmm. for sure. You know, and I, I've heard so many different techniques that people use, but even keeping, you know, allowing yourself to get up and think some of the thoughts or writing the list of what you have to do or writing down, you know, what you're thinking about and then saying, okay, going back to bed and this is for sleep. And when I get up, I'll look at that list and do those things. Um, because that may have been helpful. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) true. Yeah. It's hard to know. Yeah, Yeah. it is. And, and then, um, certainly just my appetite was nothing Mm -hmm. at first. Mm -hmm. I, and yeah, those first days I, I 
had to be reminded even to eat, I think. Correct. And the other reason for me I think that happened is because if I don't eat, this has always been me, if I don't eat, I get a migraine headache. And I wanted to have a migraine headache because I wanted to physically feel as bad as I felt emotionally, which seems so Mm -hmm. just like sick and wrong, but that's what I wanted. I wanted to physically feel awful. Mm -hmm. It matches. Yeah. Yeah. Just like I really wanted rainy days. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And it rained and was really dreary, like the day of the funeral and afterwards, and I was so pleased yeah. with that because I if it would have been a sunny beautiful day I, that would yeah. have been harder and it makes you feel more opposed to the rest of the world like and you yeah. just want to have a reason to it's a gloomy day and I'm and allowed I can be to gloomy. be gloomy yeah rather than oh crud the sun comes up the next day and the birds are chirping and everyone's looking forward to a beautiful day and it's not that for you so no. then we're fighting even you know nature yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is yeah so we're it's definitely I can understand that matching or wanting yeah to feel bad or have a reason to feel bad and I think sometimes that's maybe why grief turns you know physical for us is to say well I can't get up because I'm feeling lightheaded or heavy or right so we have a reason to stay still but really grief is reason enough to stay still right Mm-hmm. But but you're right. It seems like you want to make an mm-hmm. excuse. Right. You know, it's interesting because I ask people when you're separated from your kids or when your mom would tell you when you were younger, if we get separated, stay put. Stay where I last saw you. I mean, that's the piece. Like, don't go running off. So when we're lost in grief, we need to stay put. You know, but um, instead of running around, um, but again, culture doesn't always allow for that or we don't allow ourselves because we think I have to keep moving but really going in neutral and not doing a whole lot is really what we need to do and it took me a while I think to figure that out too because I felt this need like I had to get going Mm -hmm. again and um not that I was really pressured to do that you just inwardly feel internally like again you your personality yeah you know how do I handle things and what pressure do I put on myself yeah mm-hmm. and that's what I've always done mm-hmm. I've always put pressure on myself since right. I was a little kid right, right. I mm-hmm. have been a perfectionist forever right <laughs> when I moved I moved to a new school when I was in like seventh grade and they realized that I was very proficient in math and so they said I think she should be moved up to challenge math and my parents made me sign a form saying um I will not get mad at myself if I get a C in challenge math oh because because I was so hard on myself right now of course I got an A in challenge math yes no problem (laughs) because that was just me and I was not about ready to get a C but I had to sign a paper because my parents knew my personality was such that I was a perfectionist mm-hmm. and it needed to be just right. Yeah. Yeah. So there <laughs> in lies how you have handled this too, is I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it the best that I can and do it well. Right. Um, and this is frustrating for me <laughs> because you know what? You can't grieve 
well. I mean, I know you say it's well, but it yeah. feels like you're right. doing well, terrible. Right. But again, because you're staying put, because you're allowing pain to come, because you're allowing others to help you, some things that are so contrary to what our personality or the culture would expect. We take care of ourselves. We, you know, those that pressure to keep moving and going. So to say, I'm going to just allow myself to go in neutral. Um, I just wish every bereaved person could have, you know, several times a day that they could just rest and the world would let them stop until they're ready to catch up again. Mm -hmm. But we just don't. Yeah. I, uh, I got on a, my, I do have a physician mom's Facebook page Mm -hmm. and there there are 70,000 people on it. It's, um, physician moms group and it's a great group and I had someone reach out to me just yesterday and who was a pediatrician just like me and whose daughter had died from drowning last year and she went back to work at seven weeks and she said I have hated every minute of it mm-hmm. every minute of it for a mm-hmm. year she's hated and oh, that just made me so oh, so sad take some time yeah, um, yeah. this is what I th- say it I mean and I don't know if you want to use this as a teachable moment but I feel like compelled to teach people what I know about grief and to help them help themselves and it is to take the time to go to the committee that you're in charge of the whatever it is the work responsibilities and just simply have that conversation that says I'm not myself I've got something that's demanding which is the grief it it waits on a welcome it demands a response um so I've got something I have to pay attention to, and I'm not saying that I can't be responsible for anything, but we have to figure out where that balance is because something else really needs my attention. Mm-hmm. So having that kind of conversation to say, what does that look like? And each person has to make that up financially, whatever it is. Right. But one example that I can give you is um, a woman that I worked with uh in her bereavement, and again, I have to reiterate that I have their permission to share these yeah. stories. Her, um, she got a call on a Wednesday morning, had said goodbye to her husband, see you after work. Um, Wednesday, about 1030 at her desk, that her husband had um, had a heart attack and was at the hospital. And so she, her boss said, go, 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 do whatever you have to do. Got to the hospital. Her husband had died. So the rest of that week, Thursday, Friday, of course, you're off the whole next week. Her boss said, don't even think about it. So... 10 days after he died on that Wednesday, so it'd be that, you know, the a Monday, got an email from the boss that said, just come in and let's talk. So in the bereaved person's mind, she thought we're just going to have that kind of conversation and didn't know how to start it herself. But what mm-hmm. she was anticipating is what I just said. Hey, let's look at what you can handle, what you can't, what responsibilities, where are you, how are you? But the world doesn't give that. And that's not what she got. She sat down at her boss's desk. And, um, you know, again, what her anticipation was, he looked at her and said, I only have one question. Exactly how long do you intend to mope around? (gasps) Yeah, exactly. But she had to make a decision in that moment as now a single woman who needed the income without her husband that in front of this man at this place in this job, I have to hide who I really am. That's so sad. Isn't it? So then again, you know, to have that courage, and she didn't have the skill set at that point to, but in talking with her, she ended up going back and saying to him, 
you know, this isn't moping. I'm no. not just deciding, no. you know, hey, I think I'm going to just blow off my responsibilities. I am brokenhearted. And how am I going to do that and still work? And so she later then had to have, and it's like you're teaching others how to handle you or respond mm-hmm. to you mm-hmm. in the midst of something that you didn't know. And in those first days, you can't, no. you just can't <laughs> no. teach people. It's so hard. It you you almost need a few people that instinctively know what to do and you just kind of yeah get by that way and the others that don't have any idea what to do you just have to let mm-hmm. it go and give yeah. them some grace but I know I wasn't in any place to teach people no and that's the hard part but you will continue and you have continued whether you knew it or not finding the energy all along the way to tell people what you need and sometimes we do it um, I know I tend to do it at first kind of snippety, you know, maybe yeah. with not the best attitude because I find myself angry that now I have to teach you what I need in this moment. Um, but we, you have probably done it, but at the beginning you don't even know it's no, yeah, you just so, don't know anything. Yeah. Again, those first few days, I mean, just how do I communicate? I don't even know who I am anymore. Right. Yeah. Because you really do have right. feel like you've lost yeah. your identity. It's almost like, um, you know, even at crime scenes or places, they put out, you know, the yellow tape. I've often said, I need to come up with some kind of flag that you can put out <laughs> that mm-hmm. tells people, warning, this is the mood I'm in today. A, oh. I don't want to talk about it today. Or B, I could use all the hugs in the world. Or C, you know... Put the food on the step and ring the bell. I don't want to see your face. I mean, wouldn't that be neat? I I have to tell you a funny story. Okay. So um, right after Andy died, I mean, it's maybe a couple days after Andy died, I got the phone rang and I picked it up and it was Michigan Blood asking, you know, for a donation. Right. And the woman said, how are you today? And I just, <laughs> I said, terrible. I just said, terrible. And she said, oh, why is that? Probably not the wisest thing to say maybe mm. at that moment. She maybe should have said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear mm-hmm. that. Should I call back at another time? But said, oh, why is that? And I said, my son is dead. And I hung up the phone. <laughs> because I just, I couldn't mm-hmm. take that. And my friend was standing right there, watched me do the whole thing. And she just started laughing after right. I did it. I started laughing after I did it. Because what is crazy thing to do mm-hmm. this poor woman yeah. calling to ask for a blood donation and i just totally went off on her but again if there was a warning sign in front that went out ahead of you that says when you call this number just know that you know i know that's what i was thinking i was like i think she should write down don't call her back right. but you know they did Have call they back, back? Few, okay oh yeah. oh yeah they called back a few weeks later and that mm-hmm. uh, they clearly didn't put a note down to no. not uh, pay any attention to me not follow me and that's what when i said and you know use the word snippety for me i was like just there's no other way but just to bluntly say it like this for me that's my personality other people I fear feel that they have to be kind or you know go along with that or feel empathetic for the person calling and again when you're bereaved you can't take that all on how everyone else is going to you can't take on other people's emotions Mm -mm. too Mm -mm. yeah I Mm -hmm. we had an experience just last week and obviously this isn't 
this is now a year afterwards, but um, my son Peter had to go in for some blood work. It was just a little routine follow-up. But he, uh, the phlebotomist was very sweet, very nice, um, just, you know, chatting right. because Peter's young and, you know, I'm sure kind of nervous for getting his blood drawn and asked what grade he's in and if he was in any sports and those type of questions. And then he said, how many, she said, how many brothers and sisters do you have? And he said, one sister. And we were certainly going to just leave it at that. But she came back with, well, you don't sound happy about that. Mm. And Peter started to cry. Yeah. Because he's not happy about that. Right. Because he used to say he had a brother and a sister. And so then I felt like since he was crying, I probably had to say why he was crying. Mm -hmm. So I said... We had another son. He had another brother. He was killed in a car accident last year. And she said, oh, I'm sorry, like Mm -hmm. people normally do. And then she paused for a while, I'm sure feeling a bit awkward. And then she said, well, you've got to look on the bright side. (laughs) What was the bright side there? I thought, "Uh, what's the bright side? Yeah. Really don't see a bright side here. I don't really know what the bright side was. She just clearly had no idea what to say, and that's what came out of her mouth. Right. So, but wow. I mean, I said nothing yeah. because right. I, anything I would have said would have been unkind, I'm sure. Yes. And I didn't want to make her feel bad, but I felt horrible for Peter. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not, there's no bright side here, no. really. No. And again, a warning sign of things to say, not to say. <laughs> and I know you and I've talked about in another episode, we'll talk about what to say and what not to say. <laughs> yeah. And obviously looking on the bright side at that I, moment. I suppose because Peter's alive, maybe. I'm not really sure yeah, what she meant by that. But oh, gosh, that was mm-hmm. not not yeah. what we needed. Um. <laughs> Is there anything else you felt like you wanted to touch yeah. on? There were two things that I, I really thought about at the beginning. I think the other thing is how many decisions you have to make oh, in that time. So many. Yeah. I forget so what many. funeral service says, but it's somewhere around, you know, 167 decisions within mm-hmm. those and, and things that you just really don't even want to be thinking mm-hmm. about. And so that that's very hard. Um, yeah, I had... Um, a f- friend of mine from my office uh she's a complex care nurse she found the names of a couple of different funeral homes or actually I think my pastor gave me the name of two different funeral homes and then she just is so good at just organizing things that Mm -hmm. I talked to her about it and she um said this one I think this one is good because they had taken care of some other kids that had mm-hmm. been in our practice who had died and so she helped arrange that which was nice and it was nice for my pastor to just give me two options because right. I really had no idea mm-hmm. and then we went into the funeral home and he asked um, you know first of all if you wanted to have him buried or cremated which was a huge decision to have right. to make and then when we decided I think we'll bury him then what cemetery do you want to use well who's ever thought about what cemetery to Mm -hmm. use for Mm -hmm. um their child and he was great too I mean he said there were a few he gave us a few options and then he said but I think this one's the best one for you and you know Mm -hmm. what we just went with that one right Right. we met the people there we saw the plot they were going to give us and we went with that and then 
you know, we had to then plan his funeral and mm-hmm. go to the church and talk to the pastor. And um, I did have uh, Andy's choir director arrange all the music, really. He arranged everything that way. And um, the choir sang, along with mm-hmm. Peter. Peter sang at his brother's funeral. Um, P- Eric and I spoke. I, we wow. wrote something up the night before the funeral. We felt and, like we had to. Okay. For the moms listening and dads, that's not a requirement. That no, was just and I don't think that's of... n- normal. Yeah. I've kind of heard since that that was it's hard kind of do. unusual yeah. that we wanted to do that. I think, I mean, I've told the story of the picture on here, you know, Andrew drawing the picture of the family with just four instead mm-hmm. of five. And um, we wanted to be able to share that. Yeah, uh, with people about how Andy was okay with dying, mm-hmm. even though we weren't okay with him dying. Right. And you know, when I shared that story, there was really an audible gasp in the funeral, mm-hmm. um, and it was the church was overflowing. There were people standing outside trying to hear through mm-hmm. the doors. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, it was important to us to do that, mm-hmm. but. I don't know that I've talked to any other parents who have. Most of the time they don't. But In my 32 years, I've met quite a few that have. And the underlying theme is, this is the last thing I'm going to do for them. I mean, you know, I had one yeah. mom say it very well. She said, I am have no more birthday parties to plan, no wedding for her. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it well. And so she needed to. Mm-hmm. be involved in that and sometimes I think when you know what you were saying this there's such beautiful intimate stories that only you knew that you were the person to tell them right yeah but I just don't want parents out there at that early on um to think that no that that's yes. expected but the other thing is I believe in corrective responses too that if down the line you say I want to redo or I'd love to say this about my child or this is what I would say I mean again there's so many avenues to do that whether mm-hmm. it's on a blog or you know just write it for yourself or share it with a few friends or maybe at the anniversary of their death that you can still do that because I think when that fog lifts and the pain isn't so intense then we can think through some of those things. And I feel a lot of people say, you know, why didn't we, if only I wish I had. And we can still try to do some of those things. Yeah. And I, f- I really feel like it was the power of God that let me mm-hmm. allowed me to do that, honestly. Yes. Because, you know, right before, I still remember when, you know, we were in the back of the church and they were about ready to close Andy's mm-hmm. casket. Mm-hmm. And... I had to say goodbye to him for the last time, his body, mm-hmm. and close that casket. And I wailed. Mm-hmm. I wailed in the back of the church. I am sure every single person in that church heard me wailing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure every single person in that church thought, there is no way she's speaking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I, mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't stop just wailing because I did not want to look mm-hmm. at him for the last time. But, you know, somehow Mm -hmm. I ended up getting that strength to go up and speak. Right. So I don't know how. Yeah, the grace of God. And I've heard that, too, that where they didn't have the strength on their own, they had a mighty power that allowed them to just do that in tribute. So you experienced that. 
Yeah, I think there's no doubt I did because yeah. I couldn't have done that on mm-hmm. my own. I was feeling so weak at the time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think I before we started today, I warned you that talking about those early days would be emotional. Yeah, you did. And here I am, <laughs> emotional. Yeah, but I think it's always going to, and it brings you back to those days. So if someone right now is living in those days, um, yeah. that's the thing that I want to just, you know, encourage them to know that it, um, it, it that's the, it's painful. It's dark. It's lonely. It hurts. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah it and, does. and even thinking back. Yeah. Really brings you can that get in touch back. with that in yeah. an instant. Those, yeah. you know, because again, um, that is the most painful thing that you have ever done right and hopefully the most painful thing Thing i will ever ever do do. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well anything else you feel like you want to touch i think we've you know just talk um i i say that and then in hesitation i think um when i was talking about people and authority and things that were told i think sometimes people get the news you know you tried to prepare people so they didn't hear it on the news and that sort of thing but i think sometimes people are told in a really poor way yeah. and that is hard it lives with you for a while and so we don't want to make an assumption that everybody who experienced the death of a child that everyone in the process gets it all right cuz there's a lot of people who have been wounded by how they were told. And, and a lot of, um, pastors, uh, uh, firemen, police officers, doctors, they don't know how to do it. So, you know, I've had some families that just really struggle with that in that early day, um, trying yeah. to figure that out. Yeah. I, it, I don't envy people for having to say mm-hmm. that. I don't, yeah. I certainly don't envy that poor paramedic who had to tell us. Mm-hmm. Do you I mean, remember th- what they said? Yeah. You do? I, yeah. Oh, I'll never forget. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. He said, despite our best efforts, we were unable to save your son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, so much of that experience at the side of the road, I don't remember. But that no. one I remember perfectly. Yep. Because that's the moment that your head, you know, that news had to come in. That maybe before that, because, yeah. I mean, it's not like I didn't know that things were bad. Right, I, right, I mean, I right. knew they were bad. They sent me away to be with Peter. They didn't want me watching. Mm-hmm. It was bad. Right. But I didn't know, mm-hmm. obviously, Yeah. that he yeah. was dead. Just as you said, you know, you can't prepare yourself, even Mm-mm. when it's minutes. Because for me, it was only minutes, right? right? Yeah. It was just those few minutes of me regaining consciousness and mm-hmm. you know ask screaming like what's happening right crying out to god mm-hmm. to save him and talking a little bit to peter i mean it was minutes mm-hmm. but still the actual words mm-hmm. yeah then it takes a while for the what you hear and know in your head to know in your heart. And that's why I called. I, I <laughs> spoke to those people uh-huh. because I had to say it out loud yes. because I did not believe it. Right. And I almost needed to tell people, other people, so they would help me believe it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I didn't believe it. Right. Well, it's in that replay and that retelling that the reality 
sinks into us if we use the example i mean just last week we on you know september 11th and recalling what happened 18 years ago it's not that we are gruesome people and want to watch that again but even watching it 18 years later and seeing the planes hit the building does something like wow that really did happen Yes, I remember seeing that and that did happen. So retelling is a big part of that and makes that real. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that September 11th because obviously last year I was just so, it was so shortly after Andy died, I was still numb and not thinking at all. But this year, I really thought about all of those parents yeah. who lost their children. That it was their worst day. That it was yeah. their worst day. And it was the worst day for so many people. Mm-hmm. And people who lost their spouses and their yeah. brothers and their sisters. I had never, ever thought about it, September 11th, mm-hmm. in quite that way. No. Until this year, it just hit me totally differently. Because my worst day was, you know, August 15th, mm-hmm. 2018. Mm-hmm. So many people had their worst day, September 11th. Yep, you're absolutely right. And again, until it happens, we we're we don't live with that awareness. You yeah. you it, you realized what it meant to our country. Yes. You watched it on the yes. news, but now the lens which you're looking at it through is the lens of a mom. Yeah, completely you know? different. Yeah. Than I ever had before. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, it just must be so hard for those people to, um. Just think about, I mean, the country did mourn, but then there was like this, a bit of sense of patriotism and things like that too, Mm -hmm. that came about from that. And that wouldn't be how they would be feeling at all. They're just no. mourning their Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, sometimes overshadowed by the media or things that were going on and maybe not even focused on the lives lost we did try to to put a twist to it to make it better for everybody else but um lest we forget (laughs) well and just there they just talked about you know the vast numbers of people but then you start thinking about them as individuals Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. individual families who had to mourn this yeah very much so because i've done this work for so long i live with the awareness of that. And so I find myself at certain times just, you know, something will happen and I'm right there in those people's grief and the reality of what they're facing, that they're just starting something. Nothing ends with the death. I mean, their life may end, but your love for them doesn't end. Your hope to see them again in a future life, all that stuff continues. And then what else continues is you as a mom, as a dad, as a sister, brother, trying to figure out how am I going to live now? How am I going to go on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much You're for welcome. coming on and having I enjoy this discussion. Our conversations. Oh, me yeah. too. Me too. I look forward and, to and our I, next one. I, I find myself, you know, in conversating with you, envisioning other moms and dads, you know, gather, he, listening to this and it, just encourages me that we're you are brave enough to share your story and encourage them well and I just hope that it encourages other people Mm -hmm. to share with each other really because there is healing um when you can when you're able to talk to other people so today I 
just in closing, you know, asking you a few questions of, you know, do you remember those first few days? Remember mm-hmm. what people said? I'd encourage your listeners just to find someone to ta- tell your part of those stories as if we were asking you those questions mm-hmm. about what those first days were like and giving them a chance to do that whether it's in a support group or individually with someone just tell someone today a little bit about those first few days all right thank okay. you so much you're welcome bye thanks for listening to losing a child always andy's mom please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player we are always looking for new show ideas if you'd like to be a guest know someone who'd be a great guest or have a show idea please email us at Marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.